Turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be reading a couple passages out of Hebrews here in just a moment. Last Sunday, we, we taught on expectation. And I mentioned to you how it was, at least for me, the key to seeing some real significant turnaround uh, by way of God's hand in my life. And apparently it worked that way in other people's lives as well because, um, you know, I always like a little feedback and some of the feedback was, man, I needed to hear that, Pastor. I'm glad you shared that. And so, and so I just want to remind you that expectation is the key. Anticipation that God will move is one of the keys for Him to move in our lives. You know, we can all believe the right stuff. In fact, I'm fairly confident that a significant majority in the room this morning would probably believe the right stuff. You would believe that Jesus, for instance, uh, went to the cross, died for you, became the propitiation or the atonement as He presented His blood into the heavenly temple in order that you might be reconciled to God. You would believe that. You would believe that God raised Him up from the dead on the third day. You would believe that. You would believe ostensibly that, that God wants to do some good things in your life. Many of you would take it the next step and you would believe that God would want to heal you or to prosper you, that God would want to set you free from, from sins that so easily beset or from oppressions or bondages. Uh, many of you would take it even the next step. You believe in the moving of God's spirit and that he's alive and well on the earth today. All of these things uh, you would be orthodox in. You would believe the right thing. But here's the key that you've really got to get a hold of. You can believe the right thing and never see God move in your life. You know, James said it this way, rather abrupt. He said, the devils believe. I don't know if you've ever thought of this or not, but Satan is probably the most orthodox believer there is. He's seen the glory. He understands the plan of God. He gets the purposes of God in the earth. Now, he's not obviously embraced those, nor maybe does he want to see those things come to pass. But you've got to understand, you can be full of the devil and believe the right things. So believing, while it is important, has to be linked to certain other things going on that are associated with it. It doesn't mean you have to work or you're somehow meriting something, but it does mean you've got to bring some cooperation to the equation in order to see God move through your faith in your life. Now, last week again, we talked about expectation. When your expectation, remember what I call that? Your what? Your ex, your expector. See, I'm, I'm, I'm creating new words. Your expectors are turned on. So if you believe the right stuff and turn on your expectors, you can begin to see God move because He wants us to anticipate and to, to link our faith with our hope so that He can begin to move in our life. And so I shared that last week. You can go to iTunes and get the whole shooting match there. But as I was preparing for today, I just felt like the Lord said, hey, just stay, stay, stay in faith a little bit. Talk to the people about faith. And so we're going to dwell here uh, for a little bit. And um, I want to talk what I've entitled this morning, Getting Back Your Confidence. Getting Back Your Confidence. And if you have your Bibles, find Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read, like I said, a couple different sections here. I'm going to make some comments on it. 
as we move through this. But, but I believe if you have ears to hear, the Lord is going to help you see manifestation and see your faith become productive in your life if you hear what I'm going to say and then you'll act on it. So Hebrews chapter 3. Um, I know I put on the notes, guys, I'm going to, I was going to begin with verse 5, but let's, let's backpedal up to verse 4 if that's possible. Hebrews 3 verse 4. Listen to this. It says, for every house. Now, listen, if he says every, you know what that means? He didn't say some houses, did he? He didn't say your neighbor's house, but not your house. He didn't say pastor's house, but not your house. He said every house for every house is built by someone. Now, he's not just talking about the labor of construction that puts up what we call a house, but he's talking about building something in your house that can be used by God and that God can flow through in order that miracles can take place. Every house is built by someone right now. Your house, your home is being built by something. I'll say it again. There's no such thing as neutral. Even Bob Dylan had it right when he said, you may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. That was pretty good theology. You're going to serve somebody. Something's going to build your house. Every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Now, here's the important part, verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, listen to this, this is good news, whose house we are. In other words, Christ, listen, who's over his own house, whose house we are. In other words, this house, Kevin, or our house, the Bairds, or your house, whatever name you carry, it says we can be a part of his house if, now if means there's a condition here, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Let me explain what he's saying here. There are two things that are going on. Remember, last week I talked about what biblical hope was. Biblical hope was the firm expectation that what you had faith for was going to happen. So hope is not just a dream list or a wish list, but biblical hope is that you see you've got a vision that, that you know God wants to do in your life. You know that you know that you know that God wants to do that in your life. And, and you've got a vision for that. And now you're beginning to anticipate or expect that to take place. And so he mentions that. He says that this house can be built this way if we hold... And it's really the second thing, the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So in other words, remember, it's like, yes, God's going to do it. God's going to heal me. God's going to prosper me. God's going to open that door. God's going to get me a new job. God's going to give me a raise. I don't care what the administration says about the economy. I'm in God's economy. 
It doesn't matter if Wall Street's up or down or all around. Recession, depression, double dip, I don't care. Yes, God will work and move for me. Because I'm in His house. Hallelujah. Are you, I'm rejoicing in my hope. You're following me. I, I'm anticipating. They're saying it was Black, you know, Black Monday when Wall Street fell down. Well, you know what? It's Good Monday for me. That's what that means. Now, that's good. But he says there's two things. It says rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. But then it says if you hold fast the confidence. So there are two things. You must have confidence, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And then you must rejoice in anticipating. Now, jump over to Hebrews chapter 10. Very similar words. Hebrews 10.35, apparently these Hebrew believers were being challenged in this. Now keep in mind what I just said. You hold fast your confidence, you rejoice in your hope. It says firm to the end. It doesn't mean, firm to the end doesn't mean for 24 hours. Firm to the end does not mean just this week. You've got to get something in your spirit that says, I, I, if I'm 90 years old before I see God move and what He spoke in my heart, then so be it. Because I'm firm to the end. Hebrews 10, verse 35. One of my favorite verses. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Now, what's really important about that verse is, is that apparently you have a choice of whether you keep it or lose it. You do not cast away your confidence. Well, why? He tells us which has what? What is it? Kind of just a little reward? Great reward. So he said, don't cast away your confidence because with it comes this great reward. For for you have need of what? Endurance. He says the word endurance again. So that you, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So if you cast away your confidence, this is very important. If you cast away your confidence, no reward. And you're going to have to endure in this thing. Now, this is the part, folks, that we don't like. And in our current era, it has become very, very tough for us. Is the realization that God does not have to move like that for us. He has purposes. He has plans. He, it's, it's his call. It, he's calling the shots. And, and sometimes we've got to bring endurance to the equation. And he says it over and over again. But if we have this endurance, we will receive the promise of God. And it says that it has great reward. Now, I know some have always asked me, they say, well, I've been standing on this thing, Pastor, for literally months. Then, then okay, you're going to stand on it for years then. Well, I've stood on this thing. It seems like it's been at least five, six, seven years. Then maybe you'll have to go 10, 15, 20. I don't know. But endurance, endurance. People will say, well, God could do it anytime he wants to do it. Sure, he could. Sure, he could. But but there are things that he's working and doing, and, and we don't even understand all of this. And to understand how he brings to pass these things in our life, we've got to understand his ways in this regard and confidence is one of those things that we've got to get back into our life. So let's talk about confidence. I think I put on the screen overhead the definition of confidence. 
confidence is an unwavering trust in something. A state of being certain. A belief that something will act in a certain way. You may want to write those things down. If you ever want to know what confidence is, that's what confidence is. It's being, kind of to sum it all up, it's just being absolutely, positively sure. That's what confidence is. Being absolutely, positively sure. Now, this is the key. All of us have a confidence that's being exercised in our life. The question for us is not, do you have confidence in anything? But rather, what is it you have confidence in? I'll say that again. The issue is not, do you have confidence in anything? But rather, what is it that you have confidence in? You know, it's interesting in the world that you and I are now living in, people are searching for something to be confident in. I mean, we are grabbing at just about anything in order to provide a sense of surety, a sense of unwavering trust, a confidence, because, because things just appear to be and at least feel to be a little shaky. You know, I, I'm just amazed uh, at all the different, you know, diet plans and exercise DVDs that are out there. Isn't that amazing? Have any of you watched all that stuff? I mean, you, you do want some of these things and it gives you, you know, sexy abs in, you know, a week. Uh, you know, another one will work on other body parts. And, you know, make you look like you're all that. And, and then there are these fancy diet plans. If you go buy this pill and take this pill, it'll burn off all the fat that you don't like where it's located. And, and, so, and all these things are happening. In, in fact, you know that in the day we're living in, and I'm not suggesting it's wrong, so don't think that I'm saying this is wrong to do that. I'm just suggesting that it, that it unveils certain things, that plastic surgery, we, we can't afford a lot of things in our lives. We can't afford to fix the roads and fix, you know, the flooding, and we can't afford to do certain things in our house, but it's amazing how we afford plastic surgery. And, and do you understand that's the newest medical area that is just incredibly increasing is plastic surgery. Men too. Men are getting their faces done and, and working on themselves. And you know why we do this? It's because we think if we'll cut on ourselves or do this or that, that confidence will come back to our lives. We'll become confident. Many people are confident in things around them. You know, they're confident in their bank account. Uh, as long as their bank account is big, they're confident. They may be confident in their Uncle John who has written them into his will. So when he kicks off, they get a, a big windfall. So their confidence is in Uncle John's inheritance. Some people are confident in what they hear from the media and what they hear from cable news or they're confident in the government. The list is endless, I suppose. But to be candid, there are really only two places that your confidence can ultimately rest. You either have a confidence in God and his word, which will be the foundation of every faith act you do, or you have a confidence in yourself, the world, and even Satan's lies that will cause you, unfortunately, to be moved through fear. You say, well, why is that? It's because in the hour we're living in, God's shaking all that can be shaken. And he's leaving us what, what feels like there's no security anywhere, and he's trying to get us to shift our confidence from the things of this world back into the kingdom of God and into Him. 
And in order for faith to work in your life, you have got to be sure your confidence is in Him. Your confidence cannot be in your employer, your job, your salary, your career. It cannot be in your 401k. It cannot, it's got to be in God. And I will assure you, He will figure out where your confidence boundaries are. You say, well, how do you know? It's because I have stories in the Bible that tell me, for instance, like the rich young ruler, who said that he kept all the law. He did all the things when he asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus went through all these things. He wanted to follow the Lord. He wanted to walk with the Lord. And he said, I've done all of these things. And then finally, Jesus said, he said, then sell all you have and give it to the poor. Now, a lot of people have preached that like the Lord wants us all to be impoverished. And that's not that's not what that verse means. If we were all impoverished, how could we help anyone? But the truth of that story is, is that Jesus, as he was looking at this man, was identifying his boundaries. He was identifying his fears. He was identifying where his confidence was in. And the scripture tells us, as you know, that he dropped his head and he walked away. Why? Why did he do that? Especially think about this. Jesus had promises He gave one to Peter who said there is no man who has walked away from houses, land, mother, father, and all the things. He gives this big long list. And he said who would not uh, uh, be returned to a hundredfold in this life. That's in the Bible. Now, why would not somebody who, if the Lord would give a hundredfold back to, why would not somebody say, well, okay, then I'll give it all away? Because the thing that really always sort of frustrated me about that story is, is that we don't know what would have happened to that rich young ruler had he let it all go. We don't know. Why don't we know? It's because his confidence was apparently in his riches and it wasn't in the man that was standing in front of him. His confidence was in a bank account. It's the same with the guy who in the parables said, uh, I was going to build bigger barns. He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store things in my barns. And then I'm going to say, soul, take thine ease. The old King James Version says. What that phrase means is I'll be at peace then. I'll have had everything I need stashed away in my barns. I've got my 401k. I've got my future settled. And the whole point of that parable was Jesus said the Lord would come to him and said, thou fool, your soul is required of you even now. And and so I see one more time that that there is a guy who has his confidence in everything that that he can do in and of himself. Most of you have heard me teach on the parable of the minas and the talents. You remember the, the, the money that was given out to certain servants? two different stories and they were to do things with them. And there was one guy that was given 10 talents and, or maybe it was five talents and he turned it over into 10 and another one got three, turned it over into six. But then there was the one who did nothing with it. And the whole point of the story is, is that he was seized with fear. The one with one, he was just seized with this, this fear because he had no confidence to be able to do what it is that the master asked him to do. We're living in an era that I'm telling you, we've got to get the confidence issue settled. I mean, God's shaking some things. I'm telling you, America is shaking right now. And if there is not a great renewal that sweeps across this land, and if there's not an awakening, America is not going to be the same as it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's just not. God's shaking every institution that we had, we had linked our confidence to. People are, people are, we're trusting and are trusting their, their retirement accounts and they put it into the market. And how many of you know, in just one day, the market dropped and people lost everything. Their confidence was there. And so we've got, 
an opportunity right now, here and now, to begin to adjust ourselves so we can experience miracles. But for that to happen, we're going to have to make sure that our confidence, remember what our confidence is, it's an unwavering trust in something, a state of being certain, a belief that something will act in a certain way. We've got to get our confidence back in the one true and living God. I'm telling you, there are miracles waiting for some of you that are listening to me this morning. Some of you have miracles that God wants to release. I'm not, I'm not just prepping you for something. I'm telling you, there are miracles in various areas God has for you, and he wants to release them to you. But the problem is you have confidence in everything, but you won't put your trust in God. And I'm not talking to those who don't know the Lord. I'm talking to some Christians who trusted him with regards to salvation. But after that, you're going to trust everything else. And I'm telling you, God is wanting us to trust him explicitly in order that miracles can flow freely. And the reason I'm telling you in the American church today, we see so few miracles. It's because our confidence is in everything except him. A third world church can see more miracles than us in America, despite the fact they're not as educated, they don't have as much uh, uh, available to them, they certainly don't have the amenities, but they will see God move phenomenally. Why? It's because that's all they got. Their next meal is that little chicken out back, they're going to wring its neck. The only thing they have is what's out in their little garden. There, there isn't a lot of savings accounts and, 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 and big retirement accounts. I'm telling you, God is talking to us in this area. And if we don't hear him, what he'll do is he'll shake all that can be shaken in order that which cannot be shaken will remain. He'll shake it out of your hand. I've said this for years about people and tithing. You don't have to tithe, but God will get the his. He'll get it one way or the other. He'll get it. Oh, but God's good. Well, he isn't good when you're under a curse. Amen. I'll let that one go for a while. Many people do not realize that fear works on the same principle as faith. To see faith work, you must believe, expect, and have confidence through which God, the scripture tells us, gives us a deed in your heart for the manifestation of that thing to take place. In other words, let's say, <clears throat> let's just say you're needing, I mean, we're not talking about Lexus, Mercedes or anything like that, but you just need some wheels to get to work. All right. We're just, just some good, reliable wheels, a car, a vehicle to get to work. And, and, and you got to have one. I mean, I, I understand you can walk or ride a bike and those things may be available, but sometimes it's far enough away and it's just such that you just need some wheels. And I don't think it's, it's, it's over the top for God to provide good transportation in order for us to provide for our household or family. So listen to me. It's just, you're believing God for some wheels. And so by faith, you begin to trust him that somehow he'll provide that or however he'll bring it about in your life. And for faith to work before that thing ever manifests, before the car ever manifests in reality, the Bible says that what? You must first uh, uh, have confidence that God can do something like that. An unwavering trust that God can do something like that. Number two is you must begin to anticipate or expect that he would want to do that kind of miracle for you. And literally what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us is, is that God puts the deed to it or the title to it in our hearts. It's as if it, you already had the, the, the real governmental title in your lockbox. 
Uh, he puts a deed in your heart to where you know that you know that you know God's going to do this thing. Because why? You've got the deed to it. I'm going to dwell here for just a minute. I've used this illustration before. We live here on the East Coast, but let's just say you go over the Internet and you purchase this car over the Internet and the car is located in California on the West Coast. Now, you've got to get the car from the West Coast to the East Coast because it doesn't do you any good over in California when you're living in South Carolina. So you purchase it over the Internet. You're confident all those things worked out. We won't go through all the, the confident building ways, but you're confident it all worked out. And then what happens is they send you the title uh, for that car in the mail. Or maybe they're able to send it through email. And so you download it and you get the title to your car that's in California in your hands while you're living in South Carolina. Are you with me? Three of you are with me. I'm trying to get a miracle in your house. I want to ask you a question. You're living in South Carolina. You've got the deed to your car. You walk out in the driveway. At that moment, because it hasn't traveled yet, it hasn't been shipped to you yet, but at that moment, is the car in your driveway? Yes or no? No. Okay. So you can't see your car, but is it your car? Why is it your car? Is it your car because you can see it? It's your car because of what? You got the title to it. So it doesn't matter if the car is in California, if it's in Arizona, if it comes through New Mexico, it goes through Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and it finally gets here to South Carolina. That car is your car, not because you see it in your driveway, but it's your car because you've got a deed where? In your, in your hands. Now, this is how the kingdom works. You're looking for a miracle. God wants to send you resource. He wants to send you healing. He wants to send you deliverance. He wants to send you help. He wants to open a door. He, he wants to prosper. He wants to do something, some miracle that you know, that you know, that you know he wants to do. When you get to that place where God drops the deed in your heart, it doesn't matter whether it's sitting in your driveway or not. It's yours. Why? Because the deed is... In your heart. That's why Paul said, we walk not by sight, but by faith. God wants to do some things in our life. But we're like Thomas of old. When Thomas was told of the resurrection, Thomas's response was, well, when I can stick my hand in his side and feel the nail prints in his hands, then I'll believe. Now, Jesus capitulated to Thomas but that's not the way it normally works. That's what we're like in the church. I'll believe it when I see it. And God is saying, no, you need to see it and believe it before it ever manifests to you. Now, I told you all of that. Faith, that's how faith works. Hear me. Listen, fear works the same way as faith. Fear and faith. Fear and faith work exactly the same way. Listen to me. There are certain things that, that we have fear of. And what happens is, is when fear latches hold in our heart, we begin to believe what we maybe speculate. We begin to anticipate that that speculation, that speculation will come to pass. And we have confidence that what it is we feared and speculated on will happen. Have you ever met somebody, I know you have, 
that maybe lost their job. Let's just use that for an example. They lost their job. And they'll look at you and say, I knew that was going to happen. Have you? Come on. Or, or some calamity came into their life or some bad deal they made or just I knew that was going to happen. I just knew it. I just knew it. I just knew I knew if I did that, it was going to happen. Can I just share this with you? That was a miracle moment, that firing. Because they feared to the place. They got a deed to their fear in their heart. And because they had confidence in all the voices that were feeding their fears, because let's just say you got laid off or you got fired and everybody around the office is talking about it and they're telling you, you know, everybody's going to be laid off. They're cutting back and you know, they're going to cut out our department and you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And the whole time you're getting fed affirmation of your fears, you start speculating it. You start saying to yourself, well, well, you know, I'm one of the youngest people here. I was hired rather recently, so I'm probably going to be the first one on the, on the layoff list. And I, I know that's how it's going to be. And I know it, I know it, I know it, but Lord, I'm, I want to believe you, but Lord, I just know this is what's going to happen. And I'm, what am I going to do? And, and you're in a panic and you're in anxiety. And all of a sudden they come in and they give you the pink slip and you go, I knew it. Well, that's a miracle. You just experienced a miracle because fear and faith work on the same precepts and you, you are confident that you'd be fired and you were. Now, if you don't believe this is true, let me just show you in the Bible here. Uh, you can see it on the screen, I'm sure. But in the book of Job, everyone knows Job, don't they? Remember Job, Job was a believer, God fearing guy, the scripture tells us. Did everything he knew to do, good and right before the Lord. And all of a sudden, there's this, this conversation that takes place between Satan and the Lord. And uh, God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. And God begins to really affirm Job. I mean, Job's this really good guy. And, and Satan says, well, why, why shouldn't he be happy? I mean, he's got everything, got a great family. He, he's, got, he's got finances and resource. You know, they're all living for God. I mean, why wouldn't he be happy? But Lord, you take all that stuff away from him. And I guarantee you, he'll curse God and die. Now, we've always done backflips trying to figure out Job and God's goodness and why God would allow that. Can I just share with you, for me, I have figured Job out because there's a little passage in Job 3, verses 25 and 26 that sort of reveals to me some things that were going on behind the scene that I think are very important in understanding why here this good guy, this, this godly guy, whom we would probably analogize with a Christian person and all of a sudden his life falls apart. It says here in Job 3 verse 25, listen to this. It says, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. Now, the reason this verse is so important is because it shows me where his real confidence was. He says, the thing that I feared has come upon me. So internally, he'd been walking around with this fear, this speculation. I've got all this good stuff, but one of these days, I just know the trap door is going to swing open and I'm going to lose it all. And there he was. It says right here, he wasn't at ease. He wasn't quiet about it, which means that he was probably speaking these things. He had no rest. He had no joy. He had no peace for trouble comes. He was anticipating or he was expecting these tragic, traumatic things to come his way. Hear me now. Do, do terrible things happen to God's people? Yes. 
Do terrible things happen because their, their, their faith level isn't right? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes we're just in a fallen world and things happen. And it isn't about our own personal faith. But I'm sharing this with you that in as much as it is possible for you and I to walk under the blessing of God, knowing that we're still in a fallen world, and yes, things can still happen, we've got to do our part in making sure that we aren't getting deeds to calamity and we start getting deeds to miracles. Are you following me? See, that's what's exactly going on. Satan, Satan's... I don't know how they do this in the spirit realm, but I mean... Just, just don't, don't hold me to theological accuracy with my illustration here. But God simply says, have you seen my church? There's none like her. Have you seen my people? There's none like her. And Satan probably goes, well, yeah, Lord, well, think about what they got. They've got the, the you know, you, you, you gave them Jesus. They have healing. They have deliverance. And you know, if none of that happened, let's see what they would do. And we're in a fallen world. Now, again, don't hold me to theological accuracy here, but the problem is, is that the instant something calamitous comes our way, we're more than happy to receive it, get a deed to it, and look everybody else in the eye and say, I knew it happened. I knew I'd fail. I knew I'd get fired. I knew I'd lose my 401k. I knew if I made that investment, it'd go wrong. I knew it. I just knew it. I just knew. I just knew that this would happen in my family. I just knew this would take place in this relationship. I knew it. I knew it. And you know what? It happens and nobody's saying hallelujah when it's a miracle. Fear and faith. People prophesy their futures all the time. We're prophesying when we say, I, I knew that was going to happen. I had, I'd, been, I'd had that speculation and that speculation became an expectation the expectation produced fear and it manifested. I want you to think about our nation right now. Think about our nation and how it has become locked down in a recession. Despite being told now that it's, it's over. Now, we can debate whether economists are crazy or whether the government knows what it's talking about or not. But let's just, get, let's just stipulate that they know what they're talking about. I know that's a great stipulation. But they said it was over back, let's say, July 2009. Well, well, if it's over in July 2009, then, then why don't we see the manifestation of good things now? It's because everyone in our nation is seized in their hearts by saying to themselves, I know it ain't over. I know it ain't over. I'm, I'm, I'm stashing my cash. I'm putting it away. And listen to me, because the unrighteous are in rulership, I'm not saying that there's not wisdom in saving, so I'm just giving you an illustration, but the people of God must not have their confidence in government, we must not have our confidence in Wall Street, we've got to have our confidence in God. There is no recession in the kingdom of God. If I'm living for God, the Bible says that he's never seen the righteous begging for bread. I'm not going to be in the soup line. I'm not going to be on unemployment. I'm not going to have to have handouts. I'm, you're not going to see me down on the, on, the, on the end of 526 with a sign in my hand that says we'll work for food when that ain't even true. You say, well, how do you know that? It's because I've got a deed in another economy. I've got a title in, in another dimension. That's where my confidence is. My confidence. And the greatest battle 
Some of you are fighting right now in your life is where are you going to place your confidence? If you ever hope to see a miracle again, this is critical. People want God to move in their life, but the minute it gets bad, we start backing up. As long as it's good, it's amazing how people, as long as God always makes it good and nice and easy and not burdensome, we'll just, we'll say, we'll go, God is good, hallelujah. But the minute there's a challenge to our life, we want to back up and say to ourselves, see, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No sense doing it. I'm telling you, this is the moment you have need of endurance. And God will move if you produce endurance and keep believing. You see, confidence is when you believe something when everything else says don't believe that anymore. Confidence. Confidence. Now, I want to help you get your confidence back here. I'm going to do this real fast because this shouldn't take long. How to get your confidence back. Five quick things. Write them down right now. Because if you'll link your confidence with your expectation, you'll begin to see miracles. Number one, you got to locate the things that are feeding your fears and remove them. In fact, I would suggest if you can't discern what's God and what's not God, then probably for a season you're going to have to cut out some things that, that just are feeding your fears. For instance, the media, radio, talk radio, situations, voices, relationships. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, let me tell you how fear comes. Fear comes by hearing and it's by hearing the voice of the enemy. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing by the voice of the enemy. Who are you listening to? You got to begin to get the voices of those that will tell you, yes, God is on the throne. Yes, God will move. Yes, there is endurance. And you got to start clipping out the voices of fear in your life. We want to listen to the world and think that somehow they're going to get us into miracle zones. They aren't going to get us there. We got to listen Listen to what God is saying. People will see your fears and they'll seize upon your fears. Do you understand? That's a sales technique. A salesman will produce a fear in your life and then he'll show you how he can meet or alleviate that fear. And it's done all the time. I'm just sharing this with you. We've got to break out of listening to what the world tells us and begin to understand that God says something different. That's what suffering if you want to know what the biblical concept of suffering is, the biblical concept of suffering is really the word resisting. When we resist the world, there's a suffering to it. When I resist what the world tells me, when I resist what they want to put inside of me, when I resist the direction they're leading me, when I resist these things, there's a suffering to it. I've had people say to me before, Pastor, how can I get rid of this suffering? Just quit resisting. That's why it seems like when you go back to the world, there's no problems anymore because you're no longer resisting it. But the problem is when you get to the world, you'll only get what the world will give you. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. But as you resist that, and as you begin to receive what God is doing, then you begin to move in the miracle zone. But you've got to begin to hear His voice and cut out those things that are speaking fears into you. Come on, what did God say? Don't ask yourself, what does everybody else say? There comes a moment you say, what did God say? And hear the voice of the Lord. And it's hard. Let me tell you, this isn't easy. It is hard. 
It's hard because we're humans. We're hard because our senses are so empowered. It's hard because we're just tied into everything natural. And so it's hard for us to break out of all this natural stuff that's around us and begin to have confidence in the ethereal and the nebulous and that which, which, which we can't get our hands on and we not only can't get our hands on it, we don't always see with our natural eyes. But again, that's why we walk by faith, not by sight. Cut out the things that are feeding your fears. Number two, change your vocabulary. All of us have to filter fear words and speculations out of our vocabulary. You know what's interesting? Is that if you would listen to yourself talk, it would unveil what was going on in your heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, I want you to hear me. If you would just listen to what you say, it would automatically unveil to you where it is that you're at. I've listened to people say all sorts of things through the years. And, and I've challenged some on occasion. And uh, when I've challenged them on something that's been spoken, a lot of times they'll look at me and say, well, you know what, that wasn't in my heart. Well, yeah, it was, or you wouldn't have said it. I mean, it's just that simple. I, I mean, your heart unveils your speech. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Because what happens is, is that you can determine that your vocabulary will begin to change. For some, their own mouth is the single greatest contaminator of their faith. And until you change your confession, a miracle is unlikely. In fact, I was studying this. I hadn't seen this for a long, long time. But I went back and checked out the etymology of the word uh, confidence. And, you know, literally in the Greek, the word confidence in the Greek means all speech. Isn't that interesting? There are two words that jam together. Confidence and literally, it's the word all and the word speech. Some have translated it boldness. But it's interesting that your confidence comes from your vocabulary. Change your vocabulary. Number three, meditate on the truth of God's word and not your circumstance. Meditate on the truth of God's word and not your circumstance. The word meditate, I'm just reminding you of some things, means to imagine. Biblical meditation is actually imagining. It literally means imagine. Use your imagination. If it says that all your needs are met according to his riches in Christ Jesus, then you look at that verse and you begin to meditate on that verse. You begin to imagine what need is it that you have that needs met. And you begin to literally allow your imagination to be sanctified by God at that moment so you can begin to see that need being met. And if you can begin to see that need being met, what happens is, is you begin to get a deed to what you see in the spirit. And as you get the deed in your heart to what you see in the spirit, what happens is your vocabulary begins to change because what's in a man's heart comes out of his mouth. And as all of this begins to happen, you begin to anticipate that God will indeed do this thing. So you've got to seize authority of your eyes and your mouth. You can't let your senses have authority over you. The enemy understands how all these things work. That's why the enemy can, can contrive circumstances and throw things at you. And he's throwing things at us as a nation and a people. 
He wants us to walk away from God and say there is no God. God doesn't bless America, nor does he want to bless America. So what does he do? He throws things at us. He throws recession and, and, and unrighteousness. And he throws, he, he's, and he's a master at creating circumstances which will look exactly the opposite of what you know God's will and God's word says. And the question is, will I meditate on this circumstance or will I meditate on what God has said and what he can do? Second Timothy one seven says that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and what a sound, a sound mind. So it doesn't matter what goes on around me. I I lock into what God has said. Number four, you got to position your ears to hear what builds up faith. We've mentioned this already. Position your ears, probably your eyes too, to receive what builds up faith. Let me just ask you a couple questions. What radio station is in your car right now inputting you? If I said, give me your car keys and let me go hear what's inputting you, what would I hear? Well, I know, I know, I know. I, I've heard people say, ain't nothing wrong, ain't nothing wrong with country music. And do, 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 do. Well, I know, I understand. They go, they go get a pickup truck and drink their beer and sleep around. And, and you hear all that stuff and then you wonder why your relationship's crumbling. You mean you're going to blame that on the radio? Yeah. Because it inputs you more than God's word does. It inputs you hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. What's building up your faith? What TV programs do you watch that input your life? Uh, you just you just one of those old school preachers. No, I'm not. I'm just saying what do you what you what you watch is what you will become. Uh, it's funny how we'll look at our kids and we'll teach them the little song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. How's it go, Trace? For the five above is. So be careful, little. See, I need to teach that to the congregation right now. I. Yeah, see, I, 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 well, yeah, yeah, that's what we need to teach the kids. No, it's not. We need to teach the adults these things. I understand holiness is a good reason we should be discerning. But can I just share with you that whatever's inputting you at these levels could be turning your whole way of thinking into a convoluted mess to where God can't even begin to move miraculously and supernaturally. I mean, this is about miracles. This is about seeing God move in our life. I'm telling you, it doesn't bother me. I'll switch the radio station to see a miracle. This is not a hard thing for me. One blip on the channel changer. That's not hard. For a miracle, boom. Come on now, what are we doing to get sewed into? Are, are we in the house of God? Are we, are we in Christian fellowship? I mean, a miracle, a miracle isn't just waiting because God's timing hasn't arrived yet. Sometimes God's miracle hasn't happened because we've been input so much fear stuff and crave stuff that our confidence has been totally undermined to where we're no longer anticipating what God could do. Some of you are 24 hours from a miracle, but it can't get to you. Because your confidence and your expectation is blown because your whole day and your week and what you hear and what you see and everything is pulling you to a place that God can't move. Not that he doesn't want to move, but he can't move because you're not open to that happening. Now, he's not mad at you. He's trying to get it to you. God's saying, I want to get it. To you. This is how faith works. And finally, number five, I just put down practice faith based praying and not fear based praying. 
Quit giving your fears greater authority than your faith. As you gain back your confidence in God, you must begin to believe that your faith has as much right to manifest in your life as your fears once did. And even more so because God is in charge. I, I mean, if, if, if you speculated in your life that you were going to get laid off, fired, if you were, were going to somehow lose something and you speculated it and it came to pass and you just said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, then hear me. You've got to begin to transfer that confidence that you had at that moment and shift it back into the kingdom of God and begin to believe God that just as you saw that manifestation of calamity, you'll begin to see this manifestation of miracles. Pray it. Don't say, oh God, my life's falling apart. Oh God, everything around me is falling apart. I don't know what I'm going to do. Everything is just a mess. Oh God, the enemy, the enemy's chasing me everywhere I go. Oh God, I don't know how I'm going to get up in the morning. I don't know how in the world this is ever going to be turned around. Oh God, I'm just telling you, Lord, I know you can do anything, but this one is going to take, Lord, everything you've got. Uh, that's fear-based praying. This, let me, this is how you pray. Lord, I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I know that you have created me not just to conquer, but to be more than a conqueror. I know there is no situation that has come into my life that you do not have the wisdom and the understanding to reveal to me that I might navigate my way through this and not just barely get by, but Lord, prevail. I believe, Lord, right now that you will reveal and I receive right now wisdom from above. I receive that into my life. I believe, Lord, that even though by my natural eyes things seem shaky, I know that I am stable because I am in you. I know while others are preaching calamity and others in my office are, are, are declaring their fears, I declare, oh God, that I am in faith and, and you will be faithful to me. And that, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens to me, that, Lord, you will either cause me to stand in the place that I am at or you will open up a door for me to a better place that I will be. Lord, you can do all things. Lord, with men, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, but every tongue that rises up against me, you will condemn. Lord, there will be a favor that will come to my life because I serve the true and living God. You said that the righteous would never be seen begging for bread. So, Lord, I know because I'm confident in what you have said that I'm not going to be begging, but that you'll send resource my way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I receive these things by faith. I'm anticipating these things. Lord, if everyone else comes in expecting a pink slip, I'm coming in expecting a raise in Jesus name. Do you see the difference? You, you literally pray yourself into faith. I'm just going to give you a little secret. There are days I preach my way into faith. Really? Yeah. You just keep declaring the word and out of your own mouth, you begin to hear faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. And when you pray your fears, what happens is panic sets in. Anxiety sets in. But when you speak in faith, peace sets in. Stability sets in. I don't know about you, I just was doing that little illustration there, but could you not sense the atmosphere shift? It just shifted. 
And all I did was change my speech in the congregation for about 60 seconds. And did you sense how everything shifted? But there are some things, folks, we just can't do 60 second prayers with. We're going to have to, as it says, have endurance. You have need of endurance. Listen, we're, 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 we're rolling upstream. We're swimming upstream in a world that's got a fire hose pointed at us. And they're not just, and the enemy's not just going to roll over and play dead. You have got to arise. You have got to arise and say, I'm not being taken out. If I'm taken out, God will take me out, but I'm not, the enemy's not taking me out. I will arise to declare the goodness of my God. In Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians, I'm going to end with this. And then we're going to get our confidence back this morning. Amen. Going to get your confidence back, right? Come on, I don't care what you're facing. You say, I don't have a job right now. Why should I be confident? Because God can open a door tomorrow morning. I'm telling you, in 24 hours, some of you could change your whole life in 24 hours if you just get your confidence and your expectation back again. Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul writes these words. Interesting. He says, being confident. Of this very thing. This is one of my favorite verses. And I don't know that I really had the revelation on it until I started studying for this morning. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you. Will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Now listen. Verse 7 is cool. That first phrase. Just as it is right. For me to think this of all of you. Real quick. The difference between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is when you... Hey guys, can you switch back to that slide there that defines confidence for me in just a minute? Go back go back about three slides there. The, the, the definite, there you go, thank you. An unwavering trust in something. A state of being certain. A belief that something will act in a certain way. When you become confident in your flesh... You become arrogant. And in our circles, the problem is there's a lot of arrogance going on and not as much confidence. It's interesting. Jesus said these words. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. Isn't it amazing how Jesus said he could do nothing of himself and he was the very son of God. But ask some of us and we can do anything. No, you can't. You got to get to the place where you understand I can do nothing in and of myself. I cannot do anything. If I have confidence in me, it will be exhausted in short order. But this is what Paul said. Paul said this. He said, I can do all things. What? Through whose strength? Now you understand? That's the difference between confidence and arrogance. We got people strutting around because they think they're all that in a bag of chips. And I'm telling you. God's going to shake their lives. It's arrogance. Confidence is when you say, I ain't much, but little is much when God's in it. I ain't much, but I can, I can do all things as Christ strengthens me. Our confidence, listen to me as a church, our confidence, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm, not looking, I'm not looking for big bucks people to come and help me get to the next level because my confidence isn't in big bucks people. My confidence is in this, that what God started in you folks right here, he can complete. 
and it's right of me to think this way. I don't don't need someone that hadn't trusted God all their life to come tripping in here. I mean, it'd be nice and I'll redeem it. They want to write a check. I'll redeem it. No problem there. But let let me tell you, if God chooses to do that, wonderful Lord will redeem. But I'm telling you, my confidence is that he who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And it is right of me to think this way. It's right of me to think this way. The next time I'm talking to some of you right now, you're saying, oh, I don't want I don't want to I don't want to think too highly of myself. I don't I don't want to just, you know, say, Lord, I, I if, if you gave me a promotion or you gave me a raise. Yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd tithe on it. I'd give more on it. But I but I don't want to think highly of myself. Listen, he's saying this. He's saying it's right to think this way. It's right to say I can't do anything of myself. But God, I can do all things through you who strengthens me. That God called you to some things that he wants to complete in you. But you've got to believe. And and you've got to anticipate. And you've got to expect. And you've got to obey. And you've got to act. And if you will, I'm telling you, God will do miracles. He will do miracles in our midst. Being confident of this very thing. Isn't that a cool phrase? I am confident of this very thing. Hear me. We're not going to be taken out. We're not going to backpedal. I don't have all the answers for everything in the future, but I know the one who's got every answer for my future. I don't know where all resource will come from, but I know the one who has all resource. And I'm confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in me is going to complete it. And the same thing goes for you. He who is starting a work in you will complete it if you're confident. Are you confident? Our confidence is in him. Amen. Will you stand with me?